0: Welcome to Grace in Public, preaching and teaching in the heartland and all around the world.
1: One quality of real biblical Christianity is that it's practical. It's applicable to life. It doesn't cause us to be in bondage. A popular media would portray Christians in a light that would make them appear to be in bondage to certain rules and regulations. Uh, We know that this is not the Christianity of the believer. The lively hope that we have in Jesus Christ sets us free, and we are people full of life who are free and and out of bondage. And this message that was preached back in December of 1979, over 30 years ago, and it's still applicable today.
2: For the love of Christ constraineth us, because... We thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves. Now notice that. Should not henceforth living unto themselves. Of any normal person living unto themselves is where all the problems come. That's point A of problems. Now let's continue. But unto him... Here's the key. Unto him which died for them and rose again. Wherefore, henceforth, know we no man after the flesh. Problem number two reveals problem number one. Now, this is the way it goes. Henceforth, know we no man after the flesh. Can you possibly imagine the minimized problems that would come To live in these verses. To live under ourselves means. That we demand certain things to keep our self image. Where we think it ought to be. Because of natural goals in Adam. To know other people after the flesh. In part means. That we are very concerned. How they treat us. Why, and for what reason, to know them after the flesh means that our flesh looks upon them as being in the flesh, whether they are or not. You see, a person may not be in the flesh before God because of the plan, but because of our concepts, to us they are after the flesh. So our relationship with them is after the flesh. That's why if things do not live up to a certain par, we're not close to them anymore. Because what we know with our flesh and our knowledge of them through our flesh limits our relationship to relevant conditional response now the next verse says or part though we have known Christ after the flesh yet now henceforth know we him no more after the flesh as a baby in a manger don't misunderstand me it is a beautiful beautiful thing that he was one And it's a great thing to do what many people do. You know, one fellow told me that he invited some of the children of the neighborhood to give Jesus a birthday party with one candle. And a number of kids got saved. And the parents gave permission and they gave Jesus a birthday party. It's a beautiful thing when a child, four and five years of age, is taught from three years old and up, who God is. Why did Christ die? And a child grows up very young knowing the answers to questions that college students cannot answer in some cases. Hmm. That's unique. Josh McDowell the other night said that he had a whole group of college students where he gives his lectures and then he leaves it open for argument and debate and questions. And he asked college questions like this. Why did Jesus Christ die? They didn't know. Who is God? They didn't know. So he called his three-year-old son and he said, Who is God? And his son says, God is the creator of all the universe and God is the redeemer of our souls and God is eternal life. And the college students just went. (laughs) Three years old. He said, Question number two, son. Why did God put on a human body and die for our sins? God became flesh because mankind had gone into sin. And Jesus Christ died on the cross of Calvary to shed his blood, to die for their sins. He was buried and rose again and went to heaven, that whosoever would believe and receive could have eternal life, had it memorized. Well, how do you live a spirit-filled life, said the Father? You live a spirit-filled life by walking in the light of the word of God and growing in faith and knowledge of Jesus Christ and just plain obedience. Word for word, dogmatic answers. Knew them inside and out, three years of age. Now, it's beautiful when believers really have a real meaning to everything about their life. And as thankful as we are for the manger... And as proud as we are that God loved us so much that he became a baby in that manger. We don't know him anymore as a baby in a manger. We don't know him anymore being crucified in weakness in 2 Corinthians 13.4. We don't know him anymore as the one that was rejected, beaten, and repudiated. We don't know him after that flesh anymore at all. But we're thankful for the historical fact, and we're in love with the fact that he did it. But, therefore, we don't know any believer after the flesh. People get in bondage to Christmas, while some people enjoy it. Others get in bondage to getting gifts. Others get in bondage to the commercialization of it. And many others get in bondage to the money that they have to spend. And Christmas to some people becomes bondage. It's so easy to get in bondage. Let me illustrate it. A pastor takes a new congregation. And he loves God very much. He gets in bondage to do well. He gets in bondage to be accepted. He gets in bondage to be effective. He gets in bondage to be liked. He gets in bondage to be approved. He exalts the truth of knowledge, but doesn't experience the life of love from God toward him. Because he's in bondage after the flesh. A couple gets married and they say amazing vows and they have a beautiful wedding and they recognize that they are getting married unto God and Deuteronomy says that God requires a person to keep his vows who is a Christian. Deuteronomy 23:21. Ecclesiastes 5 says it is required of a person that he should be more ready than ever to pay his vows. Now, they get married and say their vows and then performance is demanded. After the newness of the honeymoon is over, or sometimes before it is, one member of the marital union looks at the other person and inwardly, according to their personality, demands performance. Or they're trying to get something out of their partner based upon what they demand through their temperament. One, that is not love. Two, that is not any way to establish Marriage. Trying to get a person to perform means that I am demanding a person to do something to satisfy me. And then both parties begin to know each other after the flesh. And you get the feeling that you've got to live up to the other person's personality in order to have a happy marriage. And this is what happens the couple goes to bed at night. And sooner or later, as far as one member of the union goes, there is an incompatibility in sexual relationship, although usually the party will block it. And the reason is, is they feel that they are not really treasured and loved, but in this case, somehow only they are being used. So, this goes on for years, and it's a slow death to the marriage. And please remember that this can happen in either party being guilty. Please remember that. But the whole thing is sex and marriage should be the most beautiful, godly, unbelievable experience known to the human race in the human realm. Because it's simply pure and sacred and holy. And exhilarating in the marriage bed because it is the absolute ultimate union of God the Father through God the Son and God the Spirit in a spiritual realm coming into a man, coming into a woman through the sequence of an ordained plan which has brought them into the experiential oneness of that union which is absolutely unbelievable when it's known to be done in the spirit. First of all, it's a laying down your life for the other party. And secondly, it is a revelation of mental oneness, emotional oneness and physical oneness. And the revelation is the ultimate meaning of why that adultery and fornication are Mental thoughts outside of God and the partner become so sinful. And the reason it's so sinful, it isn't just the thoughts. They're no different than other kinds of sins. It's the direct and absolute violation of oneness. That's why a stand has to be taken against perversion. Because perversion is the ultimate end of an Ishmaelite person who... Compromises their sensuality with the natural tendencies of godlessness in order to, listen to this, live unto themselves. Perversion is a man living unto himself. Compromise and perverted thoughts is a man living unto himself. There are so many sins that just come under the category living unto yourself. That's why they're not nullified. That is why they become powerful is it's a person living unto himself that's why even as an unsaved man I never once had a problem with pornography even in social drinking because it's perverted it's a perverted thing I couldn't even I couldn't even force me to get interested couldn't get me interested if back in the world if I was half cocked in it why it's perversion it's imaginary fantasy being motivated by Adam to gratify me, and then I have to begin to profess something objectively, while at times I'm living something else subjectively, and that causes a very conflict or crisis in my life that helps me to be a schizophrenic individual, at least emotionally, if not chemically. So it's very important that God teach people and that we are taught by the Holy Spirit To understand that a subjective wound will cause a mental distortion of reality so that our evaluation of life becomes absolutely independent of biblical redemption. To know somebody after the flesh instead of knowing somebody after the spirit. The first thing is to control your thoughts. For example... I love sports probably as much as anybody and I I love, I enjoy them. But you couldn't get me to miss a service to watch a a game. Not because I'm in bondage. You know why you couldn't get me to do it? Because I'm not in bondage to a sport. I enjoy sports, but I'm not in bondage. That's how you tell, this is how you can tell, has sports taken over spirituality and replaced them? It's when you replace something spiritual in place of the... You put the sports ahead. Here's the thing. A person becomes in bondage to a sport when that sport takes him away from wanting to be with the Word of God, with the body, with prayer. I can name a hundred things and I can back it up with chapter and verse if I wanted to. How that anything that we put Ahead of God, that's the thing where I'm in bondage to. Martha was in bondage to keeping the house clean. And I believe in clean housekeepers, you know that. I enjoy them. But Martha was in bondage to it. She had to have it that way every day because. And Jesus rebuked her. And Mary was in the habit of letting things go amiss. A little too much, but I won't go into that. But the one thing she did is use her time kneeling before the Lord three times at least in the Bible, recorded. So Jesus rebukes Martha and commends Mary. He wasn't saying that it's all right not to keep a clean house, because we should. But he was saying, Martha, you're in bondage to it. She's living in liberty with me and you're living in bondage to something that's temporal. So the net result was He said, the thing that Mary's doing will last forever. The thing that you're doing will not. He said, thou art trouble and carest about many things in Luke 10, 38 to 42. The bondage trip. If Satan could, now you listen and you listen well to me. If Satan could, he would get people in bondage to their ministry. He would get people in bondage to their position. He would get people in bondage to what they have to do for work. He would get children in bondage to their parents, and the parents won't even know it. And everybody begins to know each other after the flesh. So, what the Lord wants to do is to reveal what Satan is trying to do. Satan wants us to be in bondage to truth. What a tragedy to be in bondage to truth. Some people are in bondage to love. And perhaps the worst thing of all is some people are in bondage to grace. Which leads to being in bondage to liberty. A person has rights to be a stumbling block to people because he's in bondage to it. He doesn't have the liberty to do it. He's in bondage that he's got to do it. And when a guy has the liberty not to do it, he thinks he's in bondage to God. Some people act like to live right is to be in bondage. Because that's exactly what Satan wants. The preacher gets up and cries about souls, and everybody gets warm. A month later, they get in bondage to the fact that the preacher brought it up because they're not doing it. The preacher said, we ought to minister to one another. And they get in bondage to the fact that they should do it. They go in agreement with his message but they live unto themselves after the flesh to fulfill his message. They're in bondage to feeling right about other people. The Christmas story is more than Jesus Christ in a manger. The Christmas story is the story of God who became a baby, who lived thirty-three years and died and shed his blood and was buried and rose again and ascended on a throne. And he wants us to be seated together and to be totally filled consistently with the power of the Holy Spirit, with the godliness of righteousness, with the truth in the Word of God. And he wants the Word of God to liberate us from any bondage, so that everything I do is liberty in God. In 2 Corinthians 3.17, "...where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty." Liberty to win souls and not be in bondage. Liberty to forgive and forget and no bondage there. Liberty to love your enemies. No bondage doing it. It's God only and not me. I'm not living under myself and I don't know myself after the flesh. A liberty. A liberty to be free and faithful to the services. A liberty to, no bondage, but a liberty. Because the Spirit of God is there. A liberty to plan for God and live for God and take time for God and redeem time with God. A liberty to go all the way with God in godliness. Why? Because when we get to know the truth, the truth sets us free. Wait a minute. Then we continue in the Word and we are free indeed and we are His disciples indeed. When it's all said and done, you come up with Jonah 2.8 or Psalm 3.8. Salvation is all of God. That's the gift of Christmas. That's the gift of New Year. That's the real gift. That Jesus Christ, God Almighty, is worth loving all the way, living all the way, going all the way, serving all the way. If, if I can say it and be understood and have it not be misunderstood just for the sake of this sentence only... I would that everybody would be in bondage to God. Not in bondage to social drinking, not in bondage to cigarettes, not in bondage to lust, not in bondage to resentment, not in bondage to lying, not in bondage to laziness, not in bondage to these things, but a bond slave of Romans one one to Jesus Christ as Lord.
0: If you can, don't forget to send a tax-deductible gift to us. Your generous donation made to our program promotes this broadcast and ones like it going out on the Internet and broadcast on local stations throughout the United States. So please prayerfully consider what you can give. Find out how to give your donation at www.gracianpublic.com.
1: Now reading read out of Galatians 6. This is an amazing passage of scripture. We, we see it as a restoration passage. The, the end of the book of Galatians, very applicable verses at the end of all of Paul's uh, epistles, very practical application of the doctrine that he presents in the beginning and the middle of the epistles. And here he ends this with this verse about restoration. They really show us principles about our thinking. Let us read through them starting in verse 1. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfil the law of Christ. For if a man think himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. But let every man prove his own work. Then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone, and not in another. For every man shall bear his own burden. Let him that is taught in the word communicate unto him that teacheth in all good things. Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall reap corruption, but he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. This is awesome. It not only presents uh, principles of restoration, but really of thinking, how we think of other people, in what context, in what framework. Do we have a accusatory mind that's continually pointing blame, that's, that's assessing difficulties, faults, strengths in other people, and um, is very critical of their performance. Really, imputing sin is the enemy of intimacy. Uh, we see that in friendships, we see that in marriage. As soon as I impute sin to another and begin to accuse them, the attack begins on that relationship. As soon as those things are voiced, and it can be going back and forth, back and forth, eroding the very foundation of what was once a very close an intimate relationship, becomes adversarial. So if someone's overtaken in a fault, it says, restore that person in the spirit of meekness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Bear you one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. And what is that law? That law is given to us in the scriptures in John 15:12. This is my commandment, that you love one another, as I have loved you, as Christ have an accusatory mind? Has Christ treated you that way? No, no. If anything, He never sees you after your fault, never sees you after your sin, because of what He's accomplished on the cross. He always sees you through eyes of mercy. He sees the best. He He's waiting to be gracious. He has planted blessings for us to find every day of our lives. <laughs> because he loves us and doesn't see us after our sin. He's taken care of our sins so that he doesn't have to see us that way. But then we see in verse 5, for every man shall bear his own burdens. But wait, it says in verse 2, bear ye one another's burdens. So fulfill the law of Christ. So this is how we see others, but how we see ourselves, we know that we alone will stand before God in that day. There will be a point in time where we will be accountable before God. There will be no one there but God and us. Now, we don't understand that reality. It's past, it's beyond this life. It's when this life ends. But every man is appointed to die. And then there is an accountability before God. It's not an accountability of my sin, because that was taken care of on the cross. But there is an accountability words that are spoken. There's an accountability to what I did in the body. Did I receive the grace of God? Did I walk in the promises, in the provisions that he gave me in the scriptures? And it's a re- there's a reward seat, the Bema seat. We, we have a sense that there will be corporate rewards and there will be individual rewards. The Bema, the very word, is the same word that's used in the Olympics, that those uh, podiums where we see where the the gold and the silver and the bronze medal are awarded. It's not a seat of judgment like before a judge. It's a seat of reward. So I bear, we bear one another's burdens because of love. But we, we bear our own burden because we know that there is an individual accountability. And I will not stand there and blame my parents. I will not stand there and blame my society for the choices that I made. In that day, every dark thing will be exposed and the light of God will be revealed. And I will stand before a merciful God and realize the reality of my life. It was that I was accountable for every choice. I was accountable for what I did with the the blessings that God bestowed on me and would have bestowed on me if I were available to receive them.
0: We'd love to hear from you, so please go to our website and contact us. The web address is com.
1: So, if you've never received Christ as your Savior, if you, you know that you have a critical mind, that you've never known the grace and mercy of God, and that you see everyone judging them by what they do and what they don't do, and it makes you angry... We pray that you would, you would. You would receive Christ as your Savior. You would have a new heart in you that could rejoice when, when people rejoice because you have the riches of Jesus Christ. So if you've never received Him before, you can right now. You can ask Him. You can believe that He died, that He was buried, that He rose again, taking your sin and the ordinances that were written against you and they were nailed to His cross. And in that believing, God will do the work of salvation. If you've done that, if you've believed in Christ today for the first time, contact us. We'd love to hear from you. You have a new life, and there's much to learn about it. So, Lord, thank you, God. Thank you. In that great and wonderful day, believers will stand before you at this Bema Seat. The unbeliever will not stand before you. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. Every eye will be averted from the glory in that day where they are accountable, that great and terrible day of the white throne judgment. But we have a great hope that because of what you've done on our behalf and we've received it, that salvation is ours, that you've done it to us, that we believed and you did all the work and transformed us into someone we are growing into from glory to glory, being transformed. In Jesus' name, amen.